Father, our thoughts center this morning around this word reconcile. It's, it's, it's rich and it's powerful and its impact that you have brought about, Father, through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. This word richly blesses us and impacts our lives profoundly and tremendously. Uh, we pray, Father, that it is a word that characterizes our life as your people. We pray, Father, that it is a work that characterizes the work of this church. And as we think about all of the different ways that this, this, this work of yours threads its way through the Bible. We're asking, Father, for you to bless us with eyes that see and ears that hear in order that the word of reconciliation be proclaimed from every voice that calls upon you to be Savior and Father and God. Bless us this way. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, and everyone said. Well, Ellen and I are going to celebrate uh, 38 years of marriage this year. And like uh, 100% of married couples, Ellen and I, from time to time, our wills have gotten crossed. Uh, we've gotten into disagreements. We've gotten into verbal tussles. And the same thing always happens. One of us gets reduced to tears, and the other one is Ellen. In healthy marriages, which I think ours is extraordinarily so, when these things happen, uh, you know, things just don't seem to be right. There's something that hangs in the air. The words that are exchanged at times are awkward. It feels like brooding. It feels like grief until there is this tiny but powerful event that takes place called reconciliation. I've never seen this painting. I hope to see it one day. But one of the truly great pieces of art in the world is Michelangelo's painting, the creation of, of Adam in the Sistine Chapel. Uh, recently, I read an, interest, an interesting take on the subject matter. Uh, a fellow was saying, you know, uh, I, I get the idea of, of the endowment of, of, uh, of Adam with, with life, the, the creation of Adam but as I look at the painting, he writes, you have Adam who, although you know, there are muscles, you know, his, his hand is, is not strong and forthright as he reaches towards God. And it's God who is before Adam who refuses to go on until he can have Adam who is, who is reaching back and straining to, to, to grab a hold, to reconnect to Adam. He has a point. Reconciliation in relationships happen when people who have been pulled apart are pulled back together. Reconciliation, if I were to give you a definition, would look something like this. Reconciliation is the recovery of friendship after restoring or resolving, uh, after resolving estrangement. 
Reconciliation is the recovery of friendship after resolving estrangement. Reconciliation is one of the great themes of the Bible, and you can see its trajectory from Genesis to the maps. And there is this trajectory of of reconciliation that we find that I want to do it in seven simple steps. Step one, the creation cohesion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. There was nothing that was made that was made without Him. And God pronounced everything except the loneliness of man to be what? Good. Which brings us then to step number two, the breakdown of everything. God, creation, and humans are all in harmony, in perfect harmony until the humans introduce sin into the world that triggers decay and triggers the breakdown of everything from bodies to earth to relationships between humans. But the greatest breakdown is between humans and God. Humans begin to flee the presence of God. They begin to hide themselves. And in the aftermath, God broods and grieves over the wickedness Uh, brokenness, the meanness of the humans, drowning the world in a flood, which one family is rescued in order to restart the human project that quickly goes off the rails with the arrogance of the Tower of Babel. And as you're reading those first 11 chapters of Genesis, you come to these three words, world big mess. Step number three. God is with Abraham. The very nature of God is love. We're told over and over, especially by the apostle of love, John himself, the best friend of Jesus. And because God is love, it will be through Abraham that the peoples of the earth will be blessed. God decides that he is going to go big through this one man, and through the one man he is going to bless the peoples of the earth, which brings us then to step four, God is with Israel. God is with the descendants of Abraham who become the nation of Israel, and one of the signs of His presence with them is through the temple. And all this will be like a light to the nations in order for the peoples of the earth to be blessed. But it moves on to a fifth step, and that is where we talk about the incarnation and God in the person of Jesus. Humans are human and nothing more. And their fallenness is so profound that God comes in the form of a man and He's given the name of Jesus, who by the salvation He will accomplish, bring humans uh, together and, and, and there will be a peace between them and God. Which then leads to the sixth step, which is God in His people. Jesus' death and His burial and His resurrection changes everything. There is salvation, there is forgiveness, there is the anticipated hope and the promise of the resurrection. There is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means that God now dwells in the humans and they become His temple, Ephesians chapter 2, which Stephen has just read. Which brings us to the last step, and that is back to the beginning. In anticipation of the end of time when heaven and earth are once again together, we read of a glorious, breathtaking scene when you think about the scope of it. We read a glorious scene where God and humans are in harmony once again. 
And John, I don't know how he was able to write this down uh, emotionally, but he writes, And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice and say this with me, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the people of faith singing together and worshiping together in the presence of God. At the heart of this cosmic scene of reconciliation and this reconciliation project is Jesus of Nazareth. From the very beginning of His ministry, some of His very first words that have been recorded for us in terms of His own personal teaching, Sermon on the Mount, He said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers. The people that bring peace between people where there is not peace, where there is estrangement, where there's hostility, where there are difficulties, where there is the lack of love. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And in that same teaching, 15 verses later, he said that even on the way to court, his disciples, the people that call themselves his disciples and walk in his steps, his disciples should try to reconcile with their adversary. That is the importance of that Jesus, the premium that Jesus puts on reconciliation. Even when your enemy is taking you to the court, try to reconcile. In the same teaching, 19 verses later, he said that the way his disciples were to deal with enemies and to deal with hostility was not to hate them more than they can hate you, but to love them. To what end? So that you can be like God, who is the reconciler. In another place, while he's speaking to those who consider themselves to be the ethnic elite, when it came to all things God, he said, I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must, also bring, I must bring them also, they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock, one shepherd. In teaching people what it means to love a neighbor, Jesus not only showed how to love a neighbor, but also who comp, uh, comprised the neighbor in a parable that we call the Good Samaritan. There's a man between Jericho and Jerusalem who is robbed and left for dead on a well-traveled road. And Jesus says, here comes this priest, and this is varsity-level Judaism. And this priest does nothing. And then there is the Levite, which is kind of the second string of the varsity in Judaism. Not the starters, but they still get the, the letter on their jacket. And they go and they walk by. And here comes the Samaritan. And the Samaritan is the one who takes care of the man and answers the question, who showed mercy to a neighbor? It was so completely confrontational to those that were listening to it because Jews and Samaritans were anything but neighbors. 
They were at each other. In fact, the rabbi said, you know, you can actually travel through Samaria if, if it's needed and it's an emergency, but our counsel is for you to, to, to go around it completely. We could go on through the life of Jesus and what he taught and what he did, but in the end, he gives his life in order for humans to be reconciled to God and to each other. In Romans chapter 5, while we were God's enemies... You know, the story of the Bible is not that, God, that, that humans are desiring God in the main, but that God is desiring to be with humans. And so it's while we are still enemies of God that we are reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, Jesus of Nazareth. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, it is through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making what? Peace through His blood shed on the cross. Drop down two more verses. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. And then there's that great passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that Stephen read for us. In those cities of the ancient first century, there was happening in you know, the, the Mediterranean world, there was globalization that had never been seen before or even after that until our own modern day. And there were all of these ethnic groups from all over the world that were coming into cities like Rome and Antioch and Ephesus. And one of the things that was happening inside of these cities is that people from different cultures and different languages and different religions and from you know, different skin color and, and, and different, different uh, ways, worldviews, were coming together in marketplaces. And there were times because of the cultural differences and the language differences that they would go at each other's throat for perceived insults in the marketplace. And so although there was a wall that was built around these cities to protect them from enemies from without, there was also built within these cities walls, and this is where we get the idea of quarters, but there were walls that were built inside of these cities in order to protect the citizens or the, the inhabitants of that city from each other. And so the gospel comes into places like Rome and places like Antioch, Sidia, comes into places like Lystra, Thessalonica, and Ephesus. And it's so dangerous to mingle the different cultures. So these walls are being built, and the gospel comes in, and Christ's death creates peace where there is, in conventional human wisdom and experience, hostility. And Paul says he destroys by the cross the dividing walls of hostility so that his purpose create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death. Their hostility has been put to death. And at the end of the chapter, Paul writes that we become citizens of God's kingdom. That because of our faith and our trust that he's talked about at the beginning of that chapter. The grace of God coming into our life. That although, 
although there are these, these walls and these div- divisions of hostility, we now find in it peace. In other words, the gospel in these cities took the many races that were involved in living and, and the commerce of these cities and makes them one family. Many races, one family. And he says in verse 18, it is through Jesus that we both, those that are far and those that are near, that we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We must be clear on what it means to be reconciled to God through Christ. Let me be clear and direct. The reconciled become reconcilers. Those who have been reconciled to God themselves become reconcilers. The desire of God is for every nation and tribe and tongue to be united in their love for Him as He loves them. And that is God's future that the church leans into in this present day. And so on... um, Typically, I speak to you pastorally. I ask uh, for a measure of grace this morning as I speak um, what I hope is a prophetic voice. The prophets were not always about predicting the future. They were talking, they, they spoke in the main about truth as it was happening and as it related to them and to the kingdom of God and, and to God Himself. I ask for your grace. But this is why the issues of race must be addressed. It is not enough to say that racism is wrong, which it is. Dismissing another human being and even hating them for the color of their skin, regardless of the color of that skin, is wrong. It will always be wrong. Amen. Every generation will face this issue because every generation is broken, evil is created, and Satan roams the earth like a prowling lion. And this is our moment. We must work and work diligently and work prayerfully and work courageously at the two becoming one in Christ because the dividing walls of hostility have been knocked down and He has created one in peace through the cross. This is our moment in this world and this time. Over the last couple of days, I've read several times Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail that seems so... um, Relevant, even though it was written in 1963. It's a portion of it that reads this way. More and more I feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than have the people of good will. We will have to repent in this generation not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, 
Time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always right to do right. And so this morning at the beginning of the year 2020, we as the body of Christ are going to affirm that God through Christ has made the many one family. And so I'm going to ask all of my brothers and sisters of color, African American, Hispanic, Latin, Mexican, Brazilian, wherever your family comes from, to stand at this time. Please stand. And for those still seated predominantly Anglo, I would like for us to say to these brothers and sisters who are standing the words that are up here on the screen. Let's say this together. You are my brother and sister, and we are the family of Christ together. Let's say it one more time, but this time with gusto and with the gospel burning in our hearts. You are my brother and sister, and we are the family of Christ together. I'd like for you to be seated, and for everyone who was seated just now to stand. And I would like for my brothers and sisters of color to say to the predominantly Anglo group, these same words. Let's say them together. You are my brother and sister, and we are the family of Christ together. Let's say it again and mean it. You are my brother and sister, and we are the family of Christ together. You may be seated. One of the ways that the church serves the community around it is by being a signpost along the road. We point to a reality that is beyond ourselves. We lean into a future that God has described to us in glorious detail and color, the pages, the written pages of God's Word. The church, as a sign, points to the reality beyond itself, that there will be a day in which God's people will stand from every tribe, in every language, in every nation, and glorify Him. We accept the truth and revel in the truth that God did not make us to be colorblind, but to make us colorful and to revel and to praise His name for the beauty that He makes in all people. The church is, is the way, a signpost, a signpost that says this is the way past hate and this is the way past meanness. And it's by the cross of Christ. It is our faith that is marked and is moved and is shaped, and it's our lives that are transformed by a cross on a hill 2,000 years ago. There is a way to peace and a way to love. There is a way to reconciliation and to brotherhood. There is a way to the kingdom of God, and this is our moment. Let's stand and sing.